With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production, and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family-owned. So thank you to the Iowa Pork Farmer. Thank you to the Iowa Pork Consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. Best beer in all the land, brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can, exile brewing, E-X-I-L-E, for me. Podcast with Miller and Dace. Steve, the uh, the final four is set. I don't know, but you have Michigan, your favorite team in the in the tournament, and certainly in the final four. So I'm sure you consumed a great deal of it. Not sure how much Iowa fans would have consumed of the tournament, other than just your normal interest in watching the NCAA basketball tournament, but. You sit there, you watch all these games, your team's not in it. Then you see a Loyola of Chicago make it to the Final Four. You see a Kansas State in the Elite Eight. Uh, Florida State was in the Elite Eight. You just you see a lot of these things, and you begin to wonder, you know, why not us? Why, why not Iowa? And it, you put some things together this last week and sent them to me that really – really were interesting on this topic and I think it's worth talking about and, and there's really not a whole else uh, a whole lot of other things going on with regards to the Hawkeyes right now so why not Iowa and and I guess maybe the first thing to look at Steve is this year's final four and look at how some of these teams are built and can Iowa be like some of those obviously there was some pretty good fortune in the uh, Loyola bracket with Virginia going down and then other teams going down. But you're going to have that every year. Part of the NCAA tournament advancement for teams that are trying to break into the upper echelons or even get into the mid-echelons has to do with luck and what happens in other games that you can't control. But, you know, let's maybe take a look at some of those teams and and where Iowa – I think you and I would both agree to start with. The NCAA tournament and advancement, it's a guards game. We talked about this in November after Iowa came back from their their overseas trip or their Caribbean trip, and we knew that this season was going to be more of a slog than we anticipated because it's a guards game and Iowa didn't have enough of them. 
where I look at Villanova. Villanova is oftentimes a three-guard and sometimes even a four-guard dominated team. Not saying every year, but oftentimes they are. Michigan has solid guard play, but Michigan has a, a very disciplined style of offense and defense. Uh, Kansas is Kansas. They just have better athletes than everybody else. And Loyola of Chicago, I mean, what do you see here? Fingerprints that Iowa can maybe take note of. Iowa fans. Well, to me, this is a two-part conversation. And and the one is the historical narrative, which we'll get to a second, because there's a trend line there of history that says something to programs like Iowa. And then there is what is happening right now. And let's start with what's happening right now. What we have right now is is we have our fourth – no, it's our fifth. It's our fifth seeded t- team, seeded 11th, to make the Final Four. Um, but it's the fourth one that has done it in 12 years. Right. So the first team to do it, you know, was uh, LSU with – Dale Brown was kind of known for Cinderella runs in the 80s, as him and Jim Valvano were. Uh, And LSU got to the Final Four uh, in 1986 uh, as an 11 seed and uh, got absolutely, well, I wouldn't say destroyed, but they were defeated comfortably by Louisville in the national semifinal, who went on and won the national championship there. Mm -hmm. And that's been the story for the next three teams that have done it as well, George Mason, VCU, um, and actually, and, and, and Wichita State maybe was the other. No, they were a nine when they went from the Missouri Valley. So I think this is the fourth. Yeah. So this is the fourth. So it's the, the th- three of the four have done it in the last 12 years. So I think that speaks to how um, parity is uh, more of an issue in college basketball than even it was when we were kids. Uh, and so that's not a paradigm that necessarily applies to Iowa because they're not a mid-major program. If you look at the other three schools that are where Iowa would like to be, uh, you have Kansas, which is one of the ultimate blue, bud, blue bloods historically and in a contemporary fashion, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. I think with Devontae Graham and Malik Newman, who's really caused Kansas to come on, is the Mississippi State transfer Malik Newman. He is playing at an NBA shooting guard level right now. He, he is essentially unguardable with his body type, his quickness, and, and the, extent, the extended range he has on his jumper, uh, you just really have to hope he misses. I, I, don't, I, I don't know who would guard him in college basketball. And with him and Graham, they have a dynamic backcourt like they had the last couple of years uh, with Graham and uh, Frank, whose last name escapes me, that Kansas had for the last couple of years. And then after that, the rest of their guys are, are, are players that on most Kansas teams would be role players. And they're being asked to be third, fourth, fifth scoring options. And, and that's why Bill Self has said this is not one of his more talented teams. But, but again, Kansas is, is here because it's a guards game and they may have the best backcourt. And then you mentioned Villanova. Villanova doesn't really have a post player except for Jalen Brunson, the 6-1 point guard. He's their best point player or, or their best post player. They are really a five-out offense. Uh, and and they, they have a seven, eight-man rotation, seven of those players. I think shoot 38 or 39 percent or better from three, uh, and and so what we've been waiting to see is when they played a team with an elite level defense because Villanova 
at times plays very good defense, but at times does not. And remember, they didn't even win the Big East this year. Xavier did. We've been waiting to see when they play a team that has can, can run, it, run out on shooters with that athleticism and close out on them, what happens? Well, we saw it uh, on Sunday in the regional final with Texas Tech, one of the better defensive teams in the country. And Villanova shot four of 24 at one point from three and still won the game pretty comfortably. So with Villanova, they are a matchup nightmare. Uh, and Villanova's system is very reminiscent, if you're a Big Ten fan, and if you're listening to this, you probably are. It's very reminiscent of what you've seen from John Beeline's teams at Michigan in the past, where they just play around the world from the three-point line. Uh, they just do it with more athleticism than the Zach Novak, Stu Douglas, Manny Harris, Darius Morris Michigan teams you saw a few years ago. And then there is Michigan, uh, which is, according to Ken Palm, uh, came in is the best defensive team remaining in the country they're third in the nation in defensive efficiency you look at their path so far montana had its worst offensive efficiency of the year against michigan houston had its worst offensive efficiency of the year against michigan um uh, florida state had its fourth worst offensive efficiency of the year against michigan the one team who actually played up to its offensive efficiency was a m and they beat them by 27 points so i mean they they michigan won two games in la one game scoring 99 and a one game scoring 58. michigan is is sort of what we've seen from tom izzo's great michigan state teams in the past and that they can play whatever style you want to play. If you want to get up and down, they'll play that. If you want to do a rock fight because the shots aren't falling, they can do that. And so if you're Iowa, and this is where I would throw back to you, you look at those other three programs and, and how they built their teams to get here, and you ask yourself, because you throw Loyola out, that's your mid-major outlier, your George Mason, your VCU, et cetera. So you throw them out and you ask yourselves, you ask yourself if you're Iowa, what have the other three programs done there that are in this Final Four that we can emulate? Yeah, I mean that's those are that's great analysis. It's I mean the, I'm kind of struggling for the term I want to use here. Almost I don't say disappointing, but here's what I here's why I am a little disappointed by it, Steve. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm putting you on the spot. So if you don't come up with it, I don't blame you because Iowa is not your favorite team and you don't follow them as closely as I do. But if you looked at Iowa basketball over the last, gosh, I want to say decade or more, um, to you know say, yeah, maybe, maybe even more than that, what would you say the most glaring, the most glaring weakness or the thing that's missing most? off of Iowa's program that you consistently see in programs that have a shot to get to March every year and actually get in the tournament and win a couple games. What do you think Iowa's missing more than any other thing from a basketball skill set perspective? I would say overall athleticism and quickness, particularly in the backcourt, is what I would say. There's no question. And I, I, would, I would probably go back to Andre Woolridge, which we're going back quite a ways now. Yeah. And maybe you'll jar my memory between somebody between him and now where I really thought, I mean, Peter Jock was more of a shooter. He's more of a sniper. All right. Uh, who had, who is quick twitching to get his shot off. But I, I might go back to Andre Woolridge to the last time and God bless Jeff Horner. I loved watching him play, covered him in high school when I was at the register and then in college, obviously when I was doing sports talk radio, but um, you know, he, he's not a guy that, the opposing team said, "Hey, we we gotta we gotta you know run 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 somebody at that guy. We can't defend him one on one." So I, we're going back now quite a ways to the last time I can recall off the top of my head, the University of Iowa put athleticism and quickness at the backcourt that forced other teams to adjust their defense 
because they knew that even if you played good defense until the last five or six seconds on the shot clock, somebody on the floor there for Iowa in the perimeter could still create some offense. That's exactly what it is. It's it's like wide receiver for the Iowa football program. Um, I mean, Dean Oliver was quick uh, as a guard, and he was just before Horner, but he was not a good shooter. Uh, he was not your you know your your quote unquote triple threat option out there at, at guard. And um, Iowa tried to make Devin Marble a point guard, and he was very productive and very effective for Iowa. But he still wasn't as quick as many of the counterparts that he was going up against. Pierre Pierce could score a lot of points, but he too lacked that first step lateral quickness. He was a guy that if he had a run on you, like Devin Marble, they could get to the rim. And both of those players were solid players talking on court, but they... Iowa is just lacking even one guy, usually on the team, that can take an opposing guard off the dribble, create his own shot, and get to the rim consistently. Steve, it's been a long, long time since they've had even one player like that. And most teams they play against from mid-major conferences, that was one of the most frustrating things about Iowa's trip down to the Caribbean this, this year is they're going up against South Dakota State or whomever they were going up, some of these non-even mid-major programs. Those teams had guards who could get by Iowa's guards and create their own shot. And I've said this, I don't know, a hundred times. Fran McCaffrey recruited better guards at Siena than he has at Iowa. Now, this isn't a commentary to criticize the guards that Iowa does have. It's not what it is. This is more a criticism on Fran McCaffrey, on Todd Licklider, on Steve Alford. Maybe it's, I don't know, is it just hard to recruit guards to Iowa? doesn't seem like it should be. Nebraska has guards. Minnesota has guards. I mean, shoot. Northwestern has guards. Iowa's guard play is continually near the bottom of the Big Ten, or certainly the bottom of the top ten of the Big Ten when you get past the dregs. And even some of the dregs have better guards. So Iowa's not going to go anywhere consistently in this tournament until it addresses that issue. Now you want to say, okay, John, that's great. That's fun. You, you're about ready to say something before I went off on another tangent. Well, what I, I just am, I have said this. It's funny because I go back when you and I did the show when he was first hired and we had him on. And I think I might have said to you at the time, this, given his contacts, the way his teams at uh, Siena played, the region of the country he's from, mm-hmm. this may alleviate a long-time problem for Iowa and it has it. And, I, you know, I, I, look at, I look at Michigan with a kid like Muhammad Ali Abdur Rahman, who can get to the rim almost any time he wants. Almost any possession he wants, he can get to the rim. Now, he doesn't have the, the physicality to always finish when he gets there. But um, he gets fouled more times than not. That was a no-star kid. They found a kid named Muhammad Ali Abdur Rahman at a Catholic school out east who was a no-star recruit. Michigan off beeline was desperate to land some people because we we had, you know, we were losing guys off of those 2013-2014 teams, all the NBA players. He 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 gave a scholarship to this kid in the spring and he didn't even visit. He never even visited Michigan before committing. I mean, beeline offered him basically off of his tape. He hadn't even seen him in person. All right? How is it possible? 
that Michigan can find a kid like that out east. And that's where John Beeline is from, Lemoyne, uh, Canisius. I mean, that's he's, he's, he's an East Coast guy. How is it Michigan can find that guy? And I, Iowa cannot. I, I, don't, I don't blame Iowa for not beating Michigan for – Isaiah Livers, Mr. Basketball in Michigan, and Xavier Simpson, Mr. Right. Basketball in Ohio. I know there's this notion out right now that John Beeline is Bill Snyder just grabbing nobodies and concocting teams. We're starting a five-star recruit in Charles Matthews who transferred from Kentucky. Mo Wagner was considered one of the top under 18 Europeans in the in the nation that rival in the world or that rivals rated a, a, the equivalent of essentially a top 40 prospect in the United States. Xavier Simpson was Mr. Basketball in Ohio, and and Isaiah Livers was Mr. Basketball in Michigan last year. Those are four of our five starters. Okay, all right. So we're bringing we're bringing a top 50 recruit, Jordan Poole, off the bench. So I know there's this notion that we just kind of cobbled this team together. That's not true. And the last time he had a Final Four team, they had six NBA guys on that team. Okay, I don't blame Iowa for not beating Michigan for Glenn Robinson the third, Isaiah Livers, Xavier Simpson, etc. What I'm trying to figure out is why our coach can use his East Coast ties to go find a Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman, and your coach can't use his East Coast ties to find that a guy like that. That's yeah, what I want to know. I don't either because I actually think Fran is pretty good. Uh, well, I, I think he he's there's several examples of how he's found players and developed them and turned them into something that others didn't see. And I, I would also say that, you know, this last recruiting class, not this last recruiting class, but the one that includes Ahmad Wagner, Brandon Hutton, Isaiah Moss, uh, and, you know, mostly guys that are not there anymore. That one didn't turn out so well. But Meishi Daly, he sees a Meishi Daly and he sees potential in him. And he may be right. Macy Daly may have a ton of upside that a lot of people didn't see, but he doesn't have the ability to create his own shot. He's a six 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 seven lanky guy who's long, can do some things for you if he gets an attitude defensively because of his length. He's also turning into a pretty good shooter, but he's not an off-the-dribble guy. Dom Ewell, a guy that hardly played much basketball. He started a, a, an upward trajectory, but he wasn't a guy that was going to take you out. So Fran goes out and finds all these lanky six 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 seven inside out stretch three stretch four wannabe guys, but he can't do it at guard. And and then you know you Mike Cassell, you bring in a Mike Cassell, and Mike Cassell was a very productive player, but Mike wasn't. Mike, Mike struggled when he played uh, an above average defender at the Big Ten. And couldn't level. guard anybody, and he yeah. couldn't and he yeah. couldn't couldn't guard. Yeah. And when he, you know, to get to the basket, he just wasn't good at finishing because it was too hard for him. I um, think we need to explain to our audience why this is even more important than it used to be. Because the way Iowa compensated for what you just described, you know, I went back we had, for our last poker night. We watched um, the first game after Chris Street died. We found it on YouTube and we watched it as a group of guys, the game at Michigan State. And I was at that game as a Michigan State student. Uh, and Iowa was up by 10, I think, for like, or I was down by 10, like two minutes in the game or something, forced overtime and, you know, kind of won it miraculously. And so I just watched sort of the pinnacle of the Tom Davis era. Just it's, so it's fresh in my mind. All right. And the way Iowa compensated for what you just described was its pressing style. Is that that allowed maybe guys who weren't great athletes, your Wade looking bills, your Jess settles, et cetera. Um, it allowed them to get quality looks at the basket when you forced when you were forcing your tempo on other teams. 
in today's college basketball, and, and when Iowa was doing that, the shot clock was 45 seconds. In today's college basketball, here's what happens. Um, it's a 30-second shot clock. This is why you ever watch games, if you're, if you're listening to this, you watch games, you're like, why are teams doing like these token half-court pressures where they're not doing what Dr. Tom used to do, where they're trying to create turnovers? Well, one of the reasons why is that style of play also exhausts your team. So you've seen West Virginia blow all kinds of second-half leads this year. They, they can't close out games playing that press Virginia Dr. Tom style. Um, but but the, reason teams, the other reason teams aren't doing that is they're not trying to create turnovers. What they're, what they're trying to do is, is cause that other team to not be able to get into its own offense until there's about 15 seconds on the shot clock. So they're just starting to run their stuff at about 15 seconds. Yeah, and that comes down and to if, hero ball. Yes, and if you don't have the kind of player we're describing. Again, I, I, John Beeline is a great coach. I'm not taking anything away from him. But the reason we're, he, we got here in 2013 is we had Trey Burke that could, when you, when you defended us for the last five seconds on the clock, uh, play two-man basketball and either get to the rim or kick it out to a guy for an open three. And now we have Marr and Xavier Simpson that can do the exact same thing. That is college basketball today. Duke lost yesterday because they can't play that way. They don't have that kind of point guard. Duvall's not a point guard. He's a shooter. And, and so they've, they've been trying to play Grayson Allen at point guard. And frankly, he doesn't have the, the athletic ability to do that. And he's more of a scorer. And so when they play a two-man game with Grayson Allen, he's basically looking to score more than uh, dish and, and kick the ball out. And so that's why Duke lost yesterday. Man, if, if we were drafting team players one through ten, Duke from Kansas, you, could, you might argue maybe Newman or Graham might get picked second or third after Mar- Marvin Bagley, maybe. And then all the other players, the, the next seven players or six players on the ten would all be Duke players. All right? But the problem is Kansas could play that two-man game because of the two guards they put on the court. Duke didn't have those two guards. They can't play that two-man game. And that's what most of college basketball is today, a shorter shot clock. It's, 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 what, it's, it's, it's how the Utah Jazz could get to the NBA Finals with only two players you could name. All right? Because we just run two-man with John Stockton and Carl Malone. That is what college basketball is today. The day of Indiana and Bob Knight throwing chairs on the floor if he didn't pass the ball at least four times in a motion offense – or Michigan State with their 75-page playbook running stack plays, you maybe get to do that out of bounds and out of timeouts. You saw Bill Self steal some some points yesterday against Duke doing that. But that's oh, you can only do that situationally. You don't get to bring the ball up the court and just impose your will on other teams like that anymore. If you can't play two-man basketball, then you aren't going to get enough quality looks and be efficient enough offensively. That's why I kept telling you, John, about Michigan State. You were throwing at me their offensive efficiency numbers. And I was like, well, I want to look at what they did against the teams that were good because 20 of their 29 wins were outside of quadrant one and two. Well, they could impose their will on Rutgers. I want to know what, what, they, what their offensive efficiency was with, with, against Purdue and Michigan because Cash. Cassius Winston doesn't have the quickness to play that two-man style of game. And that is college basketball right now. Iowa is playing with one hand behind its back because it cannot play the way the vast majority of teams that are successful in this sport are able to produce the offense. And you're like, well, Steve, they're still top 25 in their offensive efficiency. But that goes to the defensive prowess as well because watch Michigan now. You'll watch. They are going balls out every defensive possession. 
And then you know what they do? They come up the offensive end of the floor, and unless a guy is standing wide open on the, on the wing or under the basket, they hold that ball for about 20 seconds every possession. Why do you think they do that, John? They got to rest. Yeah. They got to rest so they can play defense like that on the other end. And you know what? They can, they get to be they get to do that because they know they're going to still get a quality look playing two man basketball with when it's under five on the shot clock. That helps you play defense. Iowa can't play that way, and and so the energy level to close out on shooters. And, and do those sorts of little things defensively on top of the lack of perimeter quickness. It just all goes in place together. It's a recipe for disaster. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin, the flag guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping yeah iowa has to expend far more energy on offense because of that and not just physical but also mental and the discouraging thing about all of this is barring anyone coming in to save the day wearing a cape in the next month or two and i don't know that that will happen for iowa they're going to be in a similar situation next year What's different next year? Well, Connor McCaffrey won't likely have mono and all this and that, but anybody who thinks Connor McCaffrey is the answer for Iowa point guard to shore up the areas and deficiencies that Steve and I have just outlined, you're going to be sorely mistaken. Part of me is concerned that his father and head coach thinks that he can do that. That's a story for another day. Uh, Joe Wieskamp is not going to be that type of player. Iowa has the one quotient of the two-man game with Garza inside. I think Luca Garza is going to be a phenomenal player. And maybe Bohannon can get some of that, but Jordan Bohannon's never going to be that quick breakdown point guard. And that's not Jordan's fault. It's just He's just not that. So I, I think Iowa's going to struggle uh, again next year. With that said, Iowa has, Steve, been... It's been almost 40 years since they've made it to a Final Four. And you put together some teams that have the longest Final Four droughts. The following teams have never made it to the Final Four. 14 schools. Only 14 of the power schools. Alabama, Arizona, Boston College, Clemson, Creighton, Mississippi, Missouri, which is the most surprising one on the list to me. Northwestern, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, Vanderbilt, Virginia Tech, and Xavier. Yeah, Missouri the most surprising to you considering the talent that's gone through that program? Yeah, and just to show you, when we get later on and I rank these teams about who's been the most dominant teams in this historical era, Missouri is 26th on the list they just missed the top 25 by one point despite never getting to a final four or winning a national title so i think that speaks to what you're describing about how much of an outlier that is the only other schools on the list 
the only other school on the list of the top 25 best programs of the last 40 years that hasn't been to a Final Four um, is Xavier. And Xavier compensated for it by they have won so many conference championships Mm -hmm. and tournament championships. They have an obscene number of those. So that that shows you how hard it is to be dominant in this sport without NCAA tournament success. And I think it speaks to how successful Missouri has been to have never gotten that far. So there are 75 Power 6 conference teams you throw the Big East in in basketball. So 75. So we've listed 14 that have never made it. 79-year droughts. Here are the next longest droughts as we inch closer and closer to Iowa's. Pittsburgh at 77 years. Another was surprising one. Iowa State at 74 years. Baylor, 68 years. USC, 64 years. Kansas State, 54 years. Cal at 60 years. Florida State, 46 years. Now we get to 38 years, and that's where we get Iowa and Purdue. 21 um, of the 75 Power 6 teams have longer Final Four droughts than Iowa, but that means Iowa's in the bottom, gosh, shoot, Steve, bottom 25% of this almost. Yeah, and you look at you look at Baylor. Um, I mean, Iowa's been to one Elite Eight, right, 1987. Mm-hmm. I think Baylor's been to three Elite Eights. Mm-hmm. Um, Iowa State. Kansas State just went to an Elite Eight. To, Kansas State just went to one. Is Iowa, State, Iowa State went in 2000, and didn't they lose in the Elite Eight to Connecticut or something? I don't know if that um, was a Sweet 16. might have been. That a Sweet 16? Yeah. Okay. So I, I think that also speaks to yeah. – an overall lack of postseason success. Yeah, Florida State was just to the Elite Eight. Pittsburgh, I think, has been to the Elite Eight in the last 15 yeah. years. Well, that's a couple of times. That's yeah. why Jamie Jamie Dixon had to go because he couldn't take him to the next level. Well, they've gone to the next level. They went 0-18 uh, uh, in the ACC this year. So there you go. All right. that's So I guess the lesson is, folks, um, until Iowa starts doing a better job of more consistently recruiting guards – this is almost just kind of like a, a distraction to get us from fall to the spring. Is that what we're drawing? Well, well, if you look at what Iowa is up against, what I did is I went and looked at the top teams in college basketball. And I, I went back to 1979 because um, that for three reasons. One, that if you count this tournament, that gives us 40 years. 40 is a good round number. So you don't have recency bias or you don't, throw things in that are so far removed from the present they're not relevant anymore the other reason i went to 1979 is that was the year of magic and bird which is considered the game that vaulted college basketball into the hierarchy of of the sports Mm -hmm. mind of the sports world and then finally that was the first year we did full seating of the ncaa tournament from the top team to the bottom and so if you look at over the last 40 years and, and how I did this is I, I gave 10 points for winning a national championship, eight points for being a runner-up, seven points for getting to the Final Four, and no, you didn't double up, meaning if you got to the Final Four and then you got the runner-up, you got, you got 15. No, you just you got points there for how your season maxed out, okay? You got five points for winning a conference regular season or conference tournament. And the reason why I included conference tournaments is because the only league that doesn't call the tournament champion its actual champion is the Big Ten. All the other leagues call the tournament champion their champion. 
Um, and then I gave you four points if you had a national player of the year or the number one overall uh, pick in the NBA draft. Um, you got three points if you had a 30-win season, two points if you had a 25-win season, and then one point if you made the NCAA tournament but didn't <clears throat> get further than the Elite Eight. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I, I did this for all of all 75 of the Power Six teams. And there are, and what you see when you look at these rankings is who the real blue bloods are of the last 40 years. There, there's really um, five teams whose scores are way ahead of everybody else's. Kentucky's number one, and this is updated through yesterday. Kentucky's number one. Kansas is now one point ahead of Duke for number three or for number two. I'm sorry. It's Three. Kentucky, North Carolina, yeah. Kansas, and then Duke. Yeah, those are the four. And then Louisville, I think, is at five. Yeah, there's a big gap between Duke and Louisville. So it's yeah, and really, there is. Really and then Gonzaga. Tough Gonzaga is sixth, even though they've only been to one Final Four and never won a national title. But, again, it's because of all the conferences and titles and conference tournaments. They've had national players of the year like Paul Morrison, et cetera. Michigan State, I think, is the highest-ranked yeah, Big Ten eight. team. Are they eighth on the list? Yep. Uh, then the next, the the other Big Ten teams to make the list. Ohio, Ohio State's next. Yeah, they're at nineteen. Indiana's at twenty-one, and they're and they're you know they've fallen off. Mich- yeah. Michigan's at twenty-four, um, and Purdue is at twenty-five. And that shows you, over the last forty years, again going back to Purdue, one Final Four, and and also Purdue didn't have the advantage that a lot that um, Missouri has had or Gonzaga's had or Xavier's had, it's only been in the last, uh, since 19, the last 20 of those 40 years that they have been in a league that played a conference tournament, okay? So those other teams I just mentioned were always in leagues that played conference tournaments. So they could collect extra points that were available to them that were not available to the, to the Big Ten teams. So that should be factored yeah. into the analysis, yeah. all right? And you look, you look at, you look at, you look at, and, and there's so many teams when I did this that are between like 102 and 88. There's a whole bunch of teams bunched up in there. And so like a team like Michigan would have been in that bunch up, but they've accumulated so many points from the last two years under John Beeline that had vaulted them into the top 25. Um, you look at, uh, there's some surprising teams in there. I think people will be surprised how high Memphis ranks, how high Cincinnati ranks how high Xavier ranks. But out of those 25 teams, the only team to not make a Final Four or win a national championship is, is Xavier. Only eight of those teams didn't win a national championship. And unless Loyola wins, it, it, and the numbers are nuts, how dominant are those first five teams? I, I don't have my sheet in front of me, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, John, but I think when I did the math, 36% of all the final four teams in the last 40 years come from those five teams. Is that is that right? Something like that? Uh, yes. The top five teams in this list have combined for 18 of the last 40 national champions, which is 45% of all national titles since 1979. Of national titles. Okay. That's crazy. 17 of the 25 teams on that list that have won national championships, unless Loyola wins it all this weekend, 17 of those 25 teams have won 38 of the last 40 national titles mm. with Maryland and NC state being the only exceptions. And that's 95% of the championships in a single elimination tournament sport. 95% of the championships are won by 4% of the teams. 
Mm. So the odds of a school like Iowa under the current paradigm now, what would change the paradigm if we'd have massive rule changes, if we ex- expanded or cut back on the NCAA tournament, something like that? Or George Raveling came in and recruited there. Yes. So unless there's a massive paradigm shift, the odds are against Iowa, winning, heavily against Iowa ever winning a national title. But there's pretty good odds they could get to a Final Four. So um, that's good news and bad news. And you look at a school like Iowa State, people are curious. Iowa State's actually below Iowa on this ranking by several points. And I think people might be surprised at some schools that most Iowa fans would probably think have advantages over the Hawkeyes. They're not on that top 25 list. Illinois is not on that list. Maryland's not on that list. And Maryland's got a couple of Final Fours and a national title. They couldn't ma- they couldn't accumulate enough points Wisconsin? to make that top 25 yeah. list. Wisconsin's not on that list. That's incredible. How, how, how consistent yeah. they've been. 15 or 16 straight NCAA tournaments, never finishing below fourth in the Big Ten during that time until this year. And they're not even in the top 25. Wow. It shows you that there's not as much parity in this sport as we think there is. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's parity. It's very similar to college football, John. There's parity to get to the final four. And then, but then once we get past that, usually the chalk wins. It's just a matter of what color the chalk is. Are you going to put this into an article on your website? I'm actually going to feature this this week on uh, Michigan Podcast. Okay. We're going to go through some of this data. Right. Yeah. I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but this, this needs to be an article somewhere because I, all I saw all weekend long, you know, pe- you know and I even, I even I tweeted this out. I said, folks, this game of college basketball is nowhere near as good as it was in the 80s and 90s. And I don't know of many other sports that are like that with the exception of maybe boxing. It's just not. Well, John, you know, parody's great. You know, it's not. Parody, if the product is worse and everybody's on an even level, that's also called parody. The product's worse. Parity means teams are closer to one another, but but still, there's not parity from the top to the bottom. The middle just is maybe there's more parity, and somebody can get uh, a Buster Douglas punch out here and there. It's not a better game, and parity isn't a great thing. And there's not the parity you think there is. Steve just told you that, so you're wrong three the, times. The, I was blown away by that those stats. I will say this: I do think the the caliber of play was better this year than it's been in several years because they changed the freedom of motion. Um, you That's know. what we've got to get back to. If they br- yeah. Listen, if they bring back the freedom of motion that was far more pervasive in the 80s and even early 90s, mm-hmm. if they bring that back with today's athlete, who certainly is more advanced in strength training, but I also think he's more specialized to be a dunker or a three-point shooter so the skill set's eroded, it will be a better game. Now, and you don't have, you know, the the play that decided the game yesterday was the block charge call on Duke at the end. And all of our lives, Duke was essentially allowed to run underneath you as you were going for a layup Mm -hmm. or a dunk, flop and get that call. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's an example of they're bringing freedom of motion back into the game that had been gone for the last decade or so that has allowed a lot of these schools to, you know, take away the game's athleticism by jumping underneath you when you beat them off the dribble. They don't let you do any of that stuff anymore. So I think the caliber of play this year has actually gotten better because they're, 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 they're letting less go in the way you can. And I think that's why you, you haven't seen Michigan state get out of the first weekend, three years in a row. That's a good point. They don't, they don't, they don't get to neutral zone hockey teams anymore the way they did for many, many years. Well, let's hope that that finally makes its way down 
to a 20-game week-in, week-out officiating pace in the Big Ten and not just start out like that, but then at the end they bow to the will of Izzo's thuggery. So let's hope that happens. All right, good stuff. Uh, if you're an Iowa fan, I mean, I guess you can you can take all of that and view it how you want. You can probably find it with a half-glass full prism and a half-glass empty prism. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk soon.